Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze the music, legacy, and cultural impact of all your favorite pop stars. I'm your host, DJ Louis XIV, and I'm a DJ, writer, and all-around pop music fanatic. I've spent my entire life and career thinking about, dissecting, and being obsessed with pop stars. Their music, their legacies, how they relate to one another, to the larger pop musical landscape, and to culture more broadly. What separates an icon from a mere superstar? Why do some careers become the soundtrack to our lives, and why do others flop? Whose work and legacy transcends time, and whose feels stuck in it? Every episode of Pop Pantheon, we'll devote an entire episode to a pop icon. From titans of the genre like Beyonce and all the way down to uh, lesser titans like Nicole Scherzinger. Each episode, you'll hear a little breakdown from me and then some distinguished guests and I will chop it up about their careers, discographies, public personas, live performances, music videos, feuds, tweets, you name it. And at the end, we'll turn pop into fantasy football, make our final judgment and place them in the official pop pantheon. Uh What is up, everybody? This is DJ Louie. Welcome back to Pop Pantheon. So, so glad you're here. I want to start off by saying such a big thank you to everybody who came to the Pop Pantheon Lord inaugural Discord chat uh, two weeks ago after the episode. God, that was so much fun. We chatted for like an hour and a half about Lord, about... Haley Steinfeld about we made a joint playlist of all of our favorite songs from the last 10 years that we felt like could have been Britney songs I don't know that was just a random idea I threw out there now there's a whole Spotify playlist of that that everybody contributed to I mean you guys are so awesome I had the best time and I just wanted to say thank you thank you so so much for coming to that and also to say we're gonna do it again this week so Please join me to discuss this week's subject in a Discord tonight, Thursday, September 23rd at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. Links will be in the show notes of this episode. They will be in my bio and Pop Pantheon Pods bio on Instagram and Twitter. So make sure you go follow those things. I'm DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V on Twitter and Instagram. Next thing is I just want to say thank you so much to everybody that's been commenting. I'm continuing my drive to get to 100 comments. As I always say, the comment section and the rating section on Apple Podcasts is like how the algorithm promotes the podcast. So leave me a rating. Leave me a review. You know, I always say let me know who you want to be uh, featured on Pop Pantheon in the reviews. I read all of them. I promise you. Even the disses, I I appreciate them all. Anyone that takes time to do that, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. Next thing actually is related to that because this has come up in some comments and I hope this is something that might be exciting to you guys. I am starting to mull over the idea of an off-week episode in between our every two-week schedule of a new artist featured on the podcast. I'm going to do, or I'm thinking about doing, an interim mini-sode of sorts. I, You know, I'm envisioning it being a little shorter, maybe like a 20 to 30 minute moment where I share my thoughts on contemporary things in pop. So I would talk about albums that were released, singles that came out, important things that I know we all care about, share what I'm thinking about them, 
And one part of that for me, as I'm envisioning it, is it's a forum for me to answer any questions you guys might have for me or comments you have on the episodes that have aired or whatever, comments, questions from you guys. So I set up a Gmail. That Gmail is poppantheonpod at gmail.com. So if you have any questions you've been wanting to ask me or any opinions you want to share that I can react to on air, I guess, I would love you to shoot me an email and let me know. Again, you could still DM me if you want, whatever works for you, but there is now a Gmail. It is poppantheonpod at gmail.com. So shoot me your questions and I might talk about them in that mini-sode. And I'm excited to start putting more stuff out there because I've just been having the most fun ever doing this. Next thing is that if you are in New York City, I am DJing two after parties for the podcast Who Weekly's shows at the Bell House on October 22nd and October 23rd. I know there's a ton of crossover pop pantheon hooligans out there. So this is going to be so much fun. I'm going to be playing all your favorite pop girlies all night long at the Bell House. Even if you don't have tickets for the actual Who Weekly show, this is still open to you. You can still come dance and it's free to enter. So I hope that if you are in New York, I will see you guys there for an extremely fun night that I'm, or two nights that I'm really, really looking forward to. So October 22nd, October 23rd at the Bell House, links in my social media bios, as well as in the show notes for this episode. So RSVP for that. So last thing is, of course, if you're new, there is an episode in this feed called Minisode. What exactly is the Pop Pantheon? If you want some context. Otherwise, guys, Man, I fucking love this episode. I know I say it every time, but it's really true this time. This episode is so great. My guest, ugh, chef's kiss. So here is Pop Pantheon, Justin Bieber. Oh, 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 When it comes to defining what it means to be a pop superstar in the internet era, no one is more instructive than Justin Bieber. Worshipped as a god by his stan army, the Believers, yet continually derided by many outside of that kingdom, Bieber's love-hate relationship with the public, rise to fame on YouTube, as well as the ever-evolving sound of his music over the last decade plus, make Justin Bieber one of the superlative celebrities of the modern era. Bieber, who grew up in the small town of Stratford, Ontario, initially grabbed our attention as the first true music megastar to emerge on YouTube, garnering the attention of a small nation-state of fans, and eventually of superstar manager Scooter Braun and pop icon Usher, with his earnest, endearing covers of R&B and pop hits of yore. Justin and co parlayed his signature hair swoop and massive, almost religiously devoted flock of mostly young women into a proper pop career on his hugely successful debut EP and album, 2009's My World and 2010's My World 2.0, which spawned numerous hits, most notably the top five smash, Baby. initial rush of teen pop king glory, along with his uber-successful 2011 documentary Never Say Never, which chronicled his rise to fame, Justin set about on a long, some might say ongoing journey to transition into a fully-fledged, credible adult pop star. 
This began with his successful sophomore album, 2012's Believe, which featured numerous broad genre-hopping hits like As Long As You Love Me, Beauty and a Beat, and lead single Boyfriend, which peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100. If I was your boyfriend, never let you go. But Justin really came into his own musically on his 2013 side project, Journals, dabbling more explicitly in contemporary R&B and featuring more sexually forward and emotionally mature lyrical content, Journals represented an inflection point for Justin, where he staked a claim on his own artistry for the first time, while simultaneously struggling with the machine behind him not being entirely comfortable with him moving too far away from the meticulously calculated mass appeal of his work to that point. While Journals never got the label support to be released as a proper album, it stands to many as Bieber's artistic pinnacle. She's confident, oh no no, oh no no, she's confident, oh no no. helped establish Bieber as a credible artist to many. His public image, however, took a nosedive following its release. In this period, Justin became far more known for his entitled rich white bro antics like peeing in a bucket on video while flipping off a picture of President Bill Clinton, or being arrested for a DUI, or being accused by a fan of fathering her child than he did for his musical output. Justin rectified this on a run of his biggest hit music to date, starting with his 2015 collaboration with Diplo and Skrillex, Where Are You Now?, and later that year on his juggernaut third studio album, Purpose. Purpose found Justin on the vanguard of the then-fashionable Trop House movement and featured a slew of number one hits, including What Do You Mean, Love Yourself, and the appropriately titled Sorry. Is it too late now to say sorry? Cause I'm... Missing more than just your body. Oh, is it too late now to say sorry? Yeah, I know that I let you down. Is it too late to say sorry now? Following Purpose's success, Justin again entered a challenging moment in his relationship to his own fame. During the arena tour for the album, he appeared listless on stage and even hostile, and eventually canceled all of the remaining dates. This in turn led to a long hiatus in which Justin appeared as a feature on numerous hits like Louis Fonsi and Daddy Yankee's Despacito, but didn't release another solo album for four years. When he did reemerge in 2019 with his album Changes, he was a married man steeped in Christianity, and the low-key R&B-inflected music on that record reflected a distinct lack of interest in chasing radio hits. He followed that up this year with Justice, a return to pop that's featured a number of hits, including the number one song, Peach. I got my peaches out in Georgia. Oh, yeah, shit. I get my weed from California. That's that shit. I took my chick up to the north, yeah. Badass bitch. I get my light right from the source, yeah. Yeah, that's Justin Bieber is one of the best-selling musical artists of all time, with estimated sales of over 150 million records worldwide. He is credited with three diamond certifications from the RIAA for Baby, Sorry, and Despacito. He has 24 top 10 singles and seven number ones. 
He's received numerous accolades, including two Grammys, 31 Guinness World Records, a record 21 MTV Europe Music Awards, 23 Teen Choice Awards, 20 Billboard Music Awards, 18 American Music Awards, two Brit Awards, six MTV VMAs, and a Latin Grammy Award. Time has named Justin Bieber as one of the most influential people in 2011, and he was included in Forbes' list of the top 10 most powerful celebrities in 2011, 2012, and 2013. Here with me on the podcast to discuss all things Biebs is contributing editor to Pitchfork, assistant professor at Syracuse University, and certified believer, Rawia Kamer. Okay, so I'm here with Rawia Kamer, contributing editor to Pitchfork and assistant professor at Syracuse University. Rawia, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me, longtime listener. <laughs> uh, it, the pleasure Second is Second time well, caller. <laughs> yeah, um, just uh, not to give too much information on how the sausage gets made, but we have actually done this one time before. Um, so this is our second trip around the sun together. Rawia, uh, we're here today to talk about... I know someone who is one of your faves and someone that I think you feel a certain amount of I don't want to say like protectiveness over, but I I do know that our subject today, Justin Bieber, is someone who is oft maligned in the general conversation and sometimes unfairly so. Yeah, totally. And for about a decade now, I've been ready to step in and defend my guy. Yeah. And, and I think he should be very grateful to have someone with your wisdom and knowledge on his side because... Uh, I know you you have you have the goods to back up exactly all the reasons why Justin Bieber deserves more respect than I think he has gotten in the pop canon in spite of a lot of impressive exciting music and contributions to popular culture and music over the last 10 years i still think he's an artist that has trouble shaking a general sense that people just like to not like him yeah totally sometimes it's his fault um, sometimes it's not, but always he should be grateful to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, honestly, everyone should be. Um, <laughs> so we're going to take a long journey through Justin's career here today. And I want to start by rewinding us back to just before Justin emerged to us in the like late aughts, early 2010s. And so I want to kind of kick this conversation off by just sort of like taking a read of the room of the pop landscape in 2009, 2010, and particularly sort of talking about where we were at with the guys. Because that moment in the sort of like post-Future Sex Love Sounds landscape was a moment in pop that was very dominated by like titanic female presences. It was about Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, Beyonce, Rihanna, big booming female pop presences. And many of the guys in that particular era, uh, or the guys that had just preceded that era, whether you're talking about Justin Timberlake, whether you're talking about Usher, were kind of like in a moment of less relevance, a bit of like culture of a cultural recession. And then I sort of feel like Chris Brown sort of post the Rihanna incident was, although he was still having success, was a little bit persona non grata, like in the top tier pop conversation. What was going on in that, in that moment for guys? Why were there, why were there so few like successful, huge male pop stars operating at that sort of turn of the decade moment? Yeah. I mean, I think your assessment is really spot on. It was such a strange time, um, especially looking back at it. A lot we I think we collectively maybe had a little bit of 
a boy band hangover. You know, Justin Timberlake came out of NSYNC and there was a lot of success there, but all, a lot of the others were kind of duds, right? Like you had people like Omarion trying their best, but they didn't really quite latch on at the turn of the odds in the way that, you know, one might have hoped. And I think part of it has to do with you know, the absence of range on that front. But I also think there was something about that era where women in particular were just really, really well suited to translate some of the cultural phenomenon that we were seeing. Like what dude was going to have a moment like the meat dress? You know, we, I think fans (laughs) were ready for spectacle and the dudes were just, you know, not to be essentialist about it, but they were just really boring, right? There's only so much you can do with a couple of harmonies and a pair of ripped jeans. Yeah, that's a really actually interesting point. Like it was it was such a maximalist moment in pop, like both in the sound of it and in terms of the visual, like in the post Gaga landscape, it became the, the visual extravagance became such an important aspect of pop that really, as I think you're so right, lent itself to women who could really fulfill that sort of campy aesthetic in pop music. And I think the other point that that's sort of interesting was that that was kind of also a moment where rappers and particularly sort of like led by Drake were sort of taking center stage as pop stars like the 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 lines between rap and pop were really starting to disintegrate with Drake and in sort of like the post Drake landscape so in a sense rappers even though they were still coded as rap artists and not necessarily as pop stars in that particular moment maybe they were for filling that space in a way that like more traditional dancing, singing, showmanship, Justin Timberlakey pop stars were just not or something like that. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's an assumption that a pop star has to be a little bit of a heartthrob, a male pop star that is. And there is definitely a racialized aspect of it too, especially coming off of the Kanye West, Taylor Swift era. You know, we weren't really... And I, when I say we, I actually don't include myself in that we. Um, <laughs> but the way rappers, primarily Black or Latinx or of color somehow, were perceived as heartthrobs or not is tied to a really long legacy of how we think about men of color, Black men in particular, and their sexualization. And it's not safe for them to be pop stars, essentially, is how America has treated them. And so mm. with... Justin Timberlake kind of taking a step back and you know rap has been one of the most popular genres in this country for a very very long time but that was the era at which the scales really started to shift and although these huge male artists existed they were kind of siloed a little bit so even if you consider someone like Trey Songs who was legitimately a heartthrob in certain communities of the variety that has panties thrown at them Um, on a daily basis, he didn't really quite translate beyond a certain audience. And I think it has a lot to do with race. I think it has a lot to do with genre and or perceived perceptions of genre and, of course, gender coding during that time. And I I think a lot of it persists, I think. But Justin Bieber did give us a little bit of a, a plot twist. That's very, very interesting. The other thing I was thinking about when you were talking about that earlier was that the EDM boom and this sort of sound of dance music lends itself particularly well to female vocalists as well. Like you didn't see, if you were looking at features on a David Guetta song or features on a Calvin Harris song or whatever, I'd say 85% of them were usually a female vocal. It was very rare that you were getting 
like, you know, you'd have a rare moment like Usher's Oh My God is one that's coming to mind where there would be a male vocalist on an EDM song. But for the most part, it really lent itself to these sort of like big, booming, female, super feminine aesthetics and, uh, and sounds, I guess. And a lot of those producers and DJs from the underground all the way up to the mainstream were really obsessed as they've been throughout history with the black female vocal, right? So you were right. getting artists who were really, really into what Aaliyah was like, you know, the big Aaliyah resurgence, for instance. Mm. So a lot of them wound up calling on the Kelly Rollins and the Khaleesi's and the established R&B black women names, not exclusively, but prominently to lead that boom. Yeah, and Rihanna, obviously. I mean, if you think of Rihanna's vocal on a song like Only Girl in the World, you know, that's kind of the, like, peak of that sort of, like, use that, that sort of aesthetic in that particular moment. Alright, so, and I think that that's a good window into the Bieber discussion because... Uh, you know, Bieber emerges on YouTube essentially doing covers of, like, R&B songs, right? Like, I mean, he's covering Usher. He's covering Chris Brown. Like, he's hearkening back to the pre-sort of EDM takeover era of pop. So talk to me a little bit about what Justin Bieber is doing in the pre-Scooter, like, initial YouTube landscape. I mean, and I guess even taking a further step back, like, what is happening in that world? Like, is... Is, is that already a fertile ground for musicians to like find an audience or is Bieber kind of like the inflection point in that particular story? He's definitely incredibly early. So as we've covered, society had evolved past the need for male pop stars, <laughs> but YouTube wasn't yet a, you know, a place we had associated with music in the sort of mid to late 2000s, shortly after it was created and then sort of blew up. YouTube was where you went to watch random videos of strangers doing weird things. Vivo didn't exist yet. Even just on a sort of official level, a lot of music was really difficult to come by on um, YouTube. And then slowly emerges this community of young people with webcams and really shitty microphones who are just doing their thing. And some of them are making original songs, but a lot of them are recording covers. And Bieber emerges at the forefront of that in a series of casual videos that his typically his mom is recording of him somewhere in Stratford, Ontario. And he's just doing his thing. Somehow this like, it, it, he just manages even unintentionally to mobilize a group um, and a growing group of fans. So by the time Scooter finds him, not he's not yet Justin Bieber in the sense of Justin Bieber in quotes, but he's just a kid from Canada recording songs, covers of songs, and some people, mostly it appears to be young girls, um, are into it. He's got some charisma, he's got some skill, and occasionally you'll see him playing an instrument.
but it, there's something about it that's just super relatable, lo-fi, and charming. Aside from the YouTube aesthetics, sort of like the lo-fi, sort of like the the homemadeness of it, what is it about Bieber's personality or what is it about his vocal talent? What is it, I guess, what is it about Bieber that allows him to be such a success in that forum or to sort of be the person that unearths that as a forum for building a fan base on YouTube? Well, and it's, it's, it's sort of hard to think about that time this many years on considering what we know about Bieber but there was an <laughs> earnestness there that I think really connected with people he was just a, a you know a, a traditionally good-looking white kid with a really smooth vocal who seemed to actually love the music that he was singing right and he mm. wasn't the only one there were others right so around this time you have people like August Alsina you even have maybe not quite around this time but generally as a part of this emerging boom you have people like who we now know as Chloe and Hallie right so there's uh. all kinds of young singers at home recording covers of songs putting their own spin on it and Justin is both charming and charismatic and really really lucky in the sense mm. that Scooter Braun happened to find him. That's really interesting. And, you know, I think the earnestness is a fascinating thing because I feel like that's a foundational thing that both is a thread that Justin Bieber started that we can really see coming to fruition right now, which is the increasing importance of authenticity as a foundational building block in a pop star's career. We now see this so hardcore in the Billie Eilish's and Olivia Rodrigo's of the world where their ability to come across as authentic and for you to know the story behind their authenticity. Like the fact that Billy records all of her music in her room with her brother, the fact that Olivia made her album, you know, with this sort of unknown producer and that she makes her music about like this very intimate details of her life. I feel like the origins of his standum, the believers, occurs in this moment where like they're organically coming across him on this seemingly renegade platform at the time and getting just like a window into some like cute talented boy's career that feels almost like an accident or something that they're that they're finding authentically is so key to Yeah, to totally. So there is a sense of it that is a, a sense of ownership that people begin to feel because they're finding him organically. But also we're now about 10 years past the really big girl group boy band boom, which was characterized by a, per a perceived inauthenticity, right? Mm -hmm. By a, you know, we're assembling these people from various TV shows or auditions or, you know, these are people who are actively looking to get famous. Justin mm -hmm. seemed to just be really into music and it all seemed to happen sort of by accident. And I think that made him a lot easier to root for in the afterglow of that really, really big mid-90s, late-90s pop boom. So let's just spend a quick second on who the Beliebers are, because I do feel like the coalescing of this fandom is a trend that Justin Bieber definitely helped set off for everything that became sort of de rigueur for every pop star to have him. And I'd say the Little Monsters was a simultaneous movement where fan groups which had existed over time. I mean, it's like you have the lambs, you have groups of fans that sort of like identify with a pop star and sort of form fan groups. But there's something very, very different that starts to occur here with the Beliebers, with the Little Monsters, where it's like not only are they devoted to pop stars in the way that like, you know, has been happening since 
Frank Sinatra or whatever. But there's something different about them in that they're able to connect with each other in this uber fluid way on the internet. So I guess my question for you is, how do believers and the formation of believers help us understand like what a Stan army is? Well, the believers are really, they, you know, they, they deserve a lot more credit than they get in terms of developing not only the idea of a stand base as a community in which you are not just a fan of an artist, but you are actively in cahoots, I suppose, with uh, like-minded people, but also for the, the sort of passion with which they established and carried forward their fandom, right? So it wasn't as simple as, I'm really into this dude. His music is great. I want to go to his concerts. It was, I'm going to be involved in his success to the extent that I can be, right? So you sort of start to see almost like a political education happening in the sense of believers realizing that they have a lot more power as an online fan base than previous iterations of fan and stand bases. And Justin, by this point, he's, you know, things have changed for him and he begins to really encourage this, right? Whether that is through communicating with them directly on um, social media or making direct acknowledgements to them, he responds to the efforts that they put towards hyping him up, essentially. And it becomes a little bit of a a win-win situation. Granted, no one wins as much as Justin Bieber does in this context. <laughs> but it, they really invest in not just the the music and the persona, but in the success of the artist. So it becomes a lot more sort of tangled of a relationship between artist and fan base. So what are the sort of like tenets of believers? Like they're a very specific fan base. And we know that stan bases often reflect the energy of their idol so like the barbs can be sort of pointed and a little scary sometimes in their fury what are the core tenets of believers like aside from sort of evangelizing to the public about like making justin bieber's singles be successes or albums be successes what are, what's the culture of believerism so the believers are like almost preemptively defensive of of justin so they start they're ready to legitimize him as an artist and a musician from the get-go right so they're you know, one of the core um, talking points of early Belieberdom is this kid is not just a singer. He's not just some pop artist that you throw into a studio. He plays drums. He can play guitar. He's multi-talented. He's actually got something to offer here. Now, would you consider Prince's music to be more iconic than Justin Bieber? No. She didn't know who Prince was. Whose music is more influential? Actually, I didn't know who Prince was till the other day when he died. That's pretty sad. She can't come to my house anymore. My dad said she's banned. Would you consider Prince's music to be more iconic than Justin Bieber? No. Justin Bieber. (laughs) And why? Because Justin Bieber sings with purpose. In the early days, he was really front and center about his relationship with Christianity and his mom in particular, Patty Millette, who was known to the believers, was openly Christian and a believer. And so they often were sort of preaching a kind of purity, not quite the Jonas Brothers promise ring type purity, but there's a kind of innocence that they really, really wanted to project onto onto Justin in those early days and well into the first few years of his career before things took a turn. 
Right. And definitely. And also he was cultivating that back. I feel like there's always been an undercurrent, both I think implicit and explicit in Justin's music of Christianity to this day. And in that era, you know, a lot of the messaging behind it felt very almost like mega church. And I feel like part of the exchange was like, yes, the stands were coming that way with him, but he also was so directly communicating with them and sort of cultivating this idea of like, I have met my destiny and you're going to meet your destiny. We, if we believe, if, you know, that's where the whole notion of believing and believing comes from is this sort of almost religious experience that he, that is communal between him flowing from him back to the fans in a sense as their totally. religious leader. It's super aspirational. It's super motivational. You know, on the one hand, the Christianity sort of functions to make him safe for parents to sort of allow their kids I mean, their young daughters in particular to be fans of his, but it is also a sort of bigger than him. It is, as you point out, a way that he uses motivational rhetoric as a strategy. In some ways, he's like, maybe he's like the first girl boss. Like, you know, like there's, <laughs> there's like something, a, <laughs> there's something in there that's like, that really, really connects with people. And this kid, random kid, this random Christian kid from Stratford, Ontario made his dreams happen. And so can you, whether right. your dreams are music stardom or just to like pass your pre-calculus test. I just want to let you guys know before I start that uh, you guys motivate me. You guys encourage me. And um, I'm so blessed to know you. I get to come here and just make all these kids dreams. It's, it's, it's really a blessing. Sure, I just I love being with you. I love spending this time Thank with you. you. It's going to be great journey for you and you just have to enjoy each moment on the way. I want to say that I'm so proud of you for how much you have grown this year you. and you make me so happy. Right, there's like some very like secret energy going on there or something like that. Totally. How do we move from Justin making covers on YouTube to starting to release original music when Justin's putting together his like initial sort of thing which is the My World I guess, e initial EP, and then eventually his debut album, which is My World 2.0. You know, what's happening there musically? Like, what is the music that they're attempting to make? And how does it fit in or not with what's going on with pop more generally at that moment? So Scooter connects Justin with all kinds of different people in Atlanta, and they land on a handful of songs that are, you know, classic pop R&B in the sense that if you really listen to them... They are R&B songs in terms of the melodies, in terms of the song structures. Because R&B is one of those genres that is super... You know, the way we talk about it is racialized. He's not coded as an R&B singer, right? It mm -hmm. appears to be pop music. On the flip side, someone like Usher was making pop music, but because he's black, it's, you know, it's considered to be e exclusively R&B. So Justin is somewhere in the middle of all of that, right? You can absolutely hear the R&B influences in his vocals, in the way he sort of, even in some of the cadences and some of the rhythms. But then there's also a sort of glossier pop sheen, you know, and then there's also some acoustic guitar. Uh, and it's really, I think, a kind of a cute, album right they're not the greatest songs in the world but you can see what makes them sticky you can see how it is sort of foreshadowing the rest of his career in the sense that it is finding a bridge between clear-cut r&b and pop music you know it's it's really interesting because one of his big 
or his real big breakthrough pop moment is the song Baby. You know you love me. I know you care. Just shout whenever. And I'll be there. You want my love. You want my heart. And we will never, ever, ever be apart. That is clearly like a pop song, although written and produced by The Dream, who is a sort of like prevalent R&B artist and also a big pop R&B songwriter. And the song to me strikes me as, you know, not in conversation with like contemporary hip hop in any way, although Ludacris is featured on the track. Luda. When I was 13, I had my first love. There was nobody that compared to my baby and nobody came between us or could ever come up. So I guess that gives it a foot in that world always, but it's a big bright pop song that you wouldn't like mistake for like anything that's like Drake adjacent or whatever the sound of contemporary hip hop was at that time. But it is sort of like in conversation I felt with like the 50s and 60s R&B boy band music. Tears on my pillow Pain in my heart goes by homage to that in a certain way that again sort of somehow loops him back into R&B tradition even in a way that's maybe less obvious to a contemporary ear. Totally and we've seen this happen before with singers who are his contemporaries which is that you know the assumption is they have to be the next Michael Jackson and what that means is often there are musical and cultural references to a lot of early Jackson 5, which is, of course, reflective of that entire Motown catalog. And I think, you know, Justin's kind of good at it. He Mm -hmm. seems to be, he sounds like he's having fun, which isn't something that many artists are able to accomplish that early in their careers, right? To sound like they're having fun and mm-hmm. like the music that is being written by others feels natural to them, right? But there is something about his ability to perform and his charisma that I think makes these songs that are good enough right. really resonate. Yeah, and, and I think there's always a, the presence of something that Michael also had was there's true um, he has a very emotive voice and I think that's present from day one there's a yearning quality and a genuineness to his vocal talent that is obvious on like One Less Lonely Girl or songs from this era an emotional wisdom beyond his years that I think obviously Michael Jackson is the poster child of totally except unfortunately for Justin a lot of that emotiveness and that yearning in this particular era translates to non-believers as just being really annoying right so that's the the sort of read on him at the time from people who were not fans is 
He's just extremely annoying. That baby song is annoying. This is an annoying character. Why? Okay, um, this is this is so important. We need to break this down because this is a th- narrative that will come to define Justin Square, which is that he annoys people. They don't like him. Why? In this moment, this is before anything bad has happened. Justin Bieber has never peed in a bucket. He's never given the middle finger to Bill Clinton. <laughs> He's never drag you know drag raced on Valium in the middle of Miami. Why is Justin Bieber so annoying to people at this point? While at the same time he's having this big breakthrough moment with hit songs big record he's huge why is he pissing people off so much i mean think about it like teen boys are really annoying (laughs) if you don't know them right if you get on a subway and it's a bunch of teen boys and you don't know them you're moving to the next car right (laughs) if you know them it's it's the most adorable thing in the world Right. Because you can see the transitions that are coming. You can see the desperation. You can see that they're emoting. Right. If you don't know them and they happen to have a really weird floppy haircut, it's just bad news. <laughs> we got to talk about the haircut because that's so important too. like the swoopy hair. Was I think like... the haircut will outlive him, unfortunately. <laughs> but I think that's a good point. Although I had countered by saying that, like, I don't feel like the, pub- the broader public writ large hated Michael Jackson when he was eight years old. Yeah, but, you know, the category of teen really changed in the 80s and 90s. So right, by the right. time Justin comes around, like, the idea of the teen boy right. is way different than when Michael Jackson was a teen, right? Right, that's true, that's true. And, and, and I think that there is... I mean, it's the same way that I can imagine, you know, people in their 20s might have felt towards an NSYNC or something like that. Like that similar feeling of like, this is manufactured. This isn't real music. This kid has been like put through a machine. This nothing. This is just, you know, selling shit to teen girls who are like hormonal, like whatever that sort of irritating narrative is. Yeah. And I mean, there, 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 there's two things that are happening on that level. One of them being that when pop music becomes omnipresent and inescapable and you are not actively a fan or a participant in participant in its rise you think that it is an affront to you right like mm. y- you you're it's being forced down your throat and so i think you're right to point out that a lot of other pop acts have suffered from a similar characterization or assumption from the general public but the other thing that's happening here and I'm so glad you pointed it out is that as we've known throughout history when an artist or a trend or a style or a thing is beloved by teen girls society rears its ugly most patriarchal condescending controlling offensive etc etc response which is to automatically dismiss it because mm-hmm. obvious teen girls can't possibly have taste or substance or style or you know particular so while this narrative is an irritating one it's one that justin bieber has to engage with which is that he comes off of this my world era he's become a big star baby in particular is a huge crossover radio smash single he's breaks into broader public consciousness this is now not just a believers thing this is justin bieber is a is a bona fide phenomenon but he's growing up he's now probably in his mid to late teens and there's sort of the imperative that comes onto all pop stars which is like how do i move out of what is perceived as a lowbrow teeny bopper manufactured thing into becoming a credible adult pop star that can appeal beyond that group of people that is already devoted to me so 
What are the inflection points that allow that to happen as we move into his second record, Believe? What are the sort of moments where he attempts to change that narrative around himself? Well, by the time his second album, Believe, comes out, he's already, he's put out several versions of My World. He's put out a huge Christmas album, which I actually think is quite good and I recommend every time the season comes around. I should be playing in the winter snow But I'ma be under the mistletoe With you Shawty with you Um, And then he sort of starts, you know, a lot of the tension is really evident in in the album Believe, right? So by this point, he's in a public relationship with Selena Gomez. Right. And he's finding a home for himself in the Hollywood scene, as it were, right? He's friends Mm -hmm. with Jaden Smith. He's just sort of popping up places and his music is taking on, his voice has dropped dropped a little bit, right? Which is- Which was a major pop cultural event, as I recall. Exactly. Exactly. This (laughs) poor kid. Um, (laughs) Everyone was just sort of watching his hormones, you know? And then the relationship with Selena, obviously, is having to sort of reconcile the fact that Justin Bieber is a adult who is in a romantic relationship so what's happening musically on believe and how does it help us understand like what justin is trying to do to sort of further his pop stardom at that moment the classic bieber thing is the vocal right Mm. and his the the vocal and the harmony and the sort of little runs are still all over the place but Believe is a really interesting album. I actually quite like it. Same. There's some big EDM moments, right? Like Beauty and the Beast with Nicki Minaj. But he also has, you know, you know, a verse from Big Sean. He has a verse from Drake. And I think all the time about how ridiculous it is that there was once a point in time when you could have Drake on a song and it not be the first single or second single right. of the album. But it's a sort of blend of like R&B with hip hop that would be at home on all kinds of different genre radio stations, radio formats. But then there's also the big EDM-ish moments that you could imagine were really, really championed by the people at the label or, you know, various actors in the Bieber world. Not Maybe not Bieber himself. It's hard to know for sure, but there's clearly a tension there between the singles that are released and sort of the rest of the songs that are selected for the album. As long as you love me, I'll be a platinum, I'll be a silver, I'll be a gold. As long as you
interesting because I think in the context of so many threads that we've been talking about right now, because it doesn't, I agree with you. It's a very, very enjoyable album. I have to say when I was returning to it, you know, it's just the ultimate 2012 smorgasbord of every different thing that was kind of hot at that moment. And he was obviously getting to pick from some of the highlights of these producers reels. He was getting to work with Max Martin at the same time as he's working with Dark Child and he's working with Drake. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are co-signing in this particular moment that are sort of helping to elevate him as a credible artist. But at the same time, I do think you feel the hand of the overlords in the creation of this album. While it is, it feels like a step into like, who is Justin Bieber as an adult pop star? It doesn't feel, the songs are very song camp songs. Like everything on this album is made to maximally deliver the most successful commercial product around Justin Bieber as possible. While And, and part of that movement is like, to, if you take a song like Boyfriend is to like allow explicit sexuality to come into the mix but all in a way that feels extremely measured and extremely controlled by forces on top of Bieber utilizing him to their advantage I like to be everything you want hey girl let me talk to you if I was your boyfriend never let you go Totally. There was such a keen sense of, we know this is supposed to be his grown-up album, and here it is, but it's only it can only be so grown-up, right? Like, it was very, very stifled in a lot of ways. And I think a lot of the best songs on there are not the ones that were, you know, given the single treatment. Quite the contrary. It sounds like the beginning of data-driven music-making of the 2010s, I suppose. Yeah, like there's that feeling that you get sometimes on modern day Drake albums where it's like, throw everything in the mix, see what sticks, and let's make sure that we like hit every vector possible so that this album is like too big to fail in a sense. Exactly. While meanwhile, perhaps continuing to obscure, what is just Justin Bieber's musical perspective? Like developing sort of more of a clear cut artistic perspective that I think is feels to me has become more important to a teen star earlier on. In this era, this was how a lot of pop albums were being made. Whether you're talking about Rihanna records, albums were made in these sort of song camp formats with every talented person being thrown into a record studio and sort of like figuring out how to come up with like the most commercially successful product humanly possible in the shortest amount of time. And, you know, this, al this album has that vibe. And you sort of wind up losing the original... One of the original things about Justin that was so appealing, which was his genuine love of music, right? And right. the fact that he was actually having fun, right? It, it's sort of, you know, it's such a cliche to describe it as soulless, but there is an element of it that is that feels almost computer generated that mm -hmm. doesn't actually seem to have a direct human imprint, right? It's not necessarily reflective of his tastes or his experiences or his, his emotions. So rather than emoting, he's, he's performing a little bit more. And he's good at it, but you can sort of see a shift happening there and over the years to come. The biggest risk on Believe was the haircut. Uh, going from the floppy situation to the little fade he got. <laughs> I think the other thing that helps us understand perhaps that this isn't exactly who Justin wants to be as an artist, as the artist we receive on Believe, no matter how enjoyable, is what comes next, which is 
this album journals or it doesn't even start as an album it starts as like a series of singles that he starts to put out that are quite different than the songs that we're hearing on believe so let's talk about what was going on on the journal songs that he starts to leak out in late 2013 i believe so with journals, one, he takes up a relationship that becomes one of the sort of primary creative relationships of his career, which is a constant collaboration with the songwriter Pooh Bear. And they're making together straight up traditionalist R&B in the sense that a lot of the music is these are not necessarily radio singles, right? He is being lustful. He's being remorseful. It it sounds very different musically, but it also sounds different on an emotional level from the sort of safe workshop pop star that we're we're used to. Oh, oh, just as sure as the stars in the sky, I need you to shine in my life. Not just for the meanwhile, for a long, long time. Better believe it. It feels like I'm missing my blessings, yeah So I sleep through the daylight, stay awake all night Till you're back again, oh yeah, yeah You think I'm biased, to my significant other You hit it right on the head, only been missing my lover Got a phone and a text on my phone and it don't reply The next day falls to you, I Oh, that matters to me Yeah, yeah and, you know, that becomes increasingly clear as the releases roll out, and it is clear that the label is not interested in supporting a Justin Bieber R&B project. They are not behind this shift in his career. Right. And okay, so this is like a pretty important thing to underscore about journals, which is that I don't really know the exact story of how the inner machinations worked between Bieber and the label at this point, but essentially he starts releasing these songs almost like it appears like I wouldn't say against the label's will. I mean, I don't know what, again, I don't know what was going on behind the scenes. But essentially, it becomes clear that the label is not interested in releasing these songs as a proper album. And yet, Justin seems insistent on putting them out. And I think that reveals a sort of fascinating inner Bieber world machinations that are sort of tied to racial dynamics because Bieber clearly wants to be making this sort of more straightforward R&B music that's conversant with contemporary hip-hop, that's conversant with the hip-hop of yore and R&B of yore that's more overtly sexual, that's sort of looser, more deeply felt, less formalized than the traditional pop he's been making. Oh girl, I got a secret place we can go Cause I really wanna And the label has been happy having him have signifiers of that in the past with songs like Boyfriend, you know, by having Drake on his on Believe, by having Big Sean on Believe, etc. But there's definitely a vibe that like this music that Justin Bieber sort of fluidly wants to be making that's more straightforwardly R&B is not something that the Bieber machine is really interested in supporting as like a key element of his career trajectory. Yeah, and also around the same time, you know, Justin is 
being seen publicly with a lot of friends who are young black men, right? He's hanging out with, Cor- what's his name again? Corey from... Uh, uh, from- uh, That's So Raven. Corey from That's So Raven. Exactly. He's hanging out with Corey from That's So Raven, <laughs> but he's also hanging out with Lil Twist, who's a rapper, right? And he's he's starting to get into a little bit of trouble, and the racialized components there become really, really obvious. The missed opportunity here is that this is the first time in his career, I think, that his music begins to make a mark with people outside the belieberdom, right? All kinds of people, many of them Black, start to see Justin Bieber as a legitimate artist making really good music. Unfortunately, you know, there's an R. Kelly feature on there. But leaving that aside, um, there are a lot of decisions that he's making. 2013 was the year of a lot of unfortunate R. Kelly appearances. 2013 was the year of unfortunate R. Kelly appearances absolutely r.i.p.r. pop um (laughs) but you know justin has found something that's actually working for him in in a bit of an organic way in a way that i think could have led to a sort of different arc in his career had he had more support from the label i suppose it's what journals winds up being is is what they call a cult hit right a lot of people still would describe it as their favorite justin bieber album but it's really treated as a blip in his career unfortunately right like a commercial blip perhaps but i think kind of an artistic revelation because while perhaps like we don't think of the songs on journals as like definitive justin bieber singles on the level of like a sorry there's definitely like if we're looking at justin's career now in 2021 if we're looking at his more recent work that he puts out like there's obvious tiebacks to what he did on journals so it clearly was some sort of like artistic revelation for him in communing with R&B and I think narratively it sort of was the first moment where Justin Bieber was kind of like fuck you to the system that controls my life I want to do what I want to do and of course that then ended up spinning off into like a period where he was uh, acting out. I don't know, like where his image really changes from being this goody two shoes to being a bit of a bad boy. But I also think it was almost like an important fracturing in that moment as just a move for him to make as an artist to sort of buck the powers that be. And just to circle back, it really just speaks to a lot of like the loaded racial dynamics in Justin Bieber's music, not necessarily coming from Justin himself, but more coming from the people that rule over him. The label's rejection of that was like sort of this racialized thing where like on an album like Believe, they were comfortable sort of adopting certain R&B and hip hop aesthetics to make him cool enough, but that somehow his sort of full foray into R&B music that felt more like explicitly what he wanted to do and that way he was more sort of fluid in being able to achieve as a musical artist felt like something that was like a like a step too far and that sort of moderation of what is acceptable sort of accoutrement of hip-hop and black culture and what isn't is something that i think it, it speaks to a larger sort of like dynamic of like the racialized forces that lorded over justin bieber's musical choices and career up to that point Yeah, absolutely. And it winds up becoming straight up racist, right? There is, you know, in addition to the music that he's, he's, he's chosen to make and sort of experiment with also the fact that he starts hanging out with a bunch of black dudes, right? And at that point, he's no longer considered to be the safe teeny bopper oh i can't believe that's the first time we've said teeny bopper today no i said it before unfortunately oh did you okay you know (laughs) yeah it's just a classic racist thing right yeah you know you can borrow what you need from 
blackness and black people as long as you don't, you know, forget that you're white at the end of the day. And what's fascinating about that, and this is a point you've made to me before, is that it's almost like there's a lot of focus on like, is Justin Bieber appropriating? Should Justin Bieber be allowed to make R&B music? Blah, 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 blah. That's always been like an overarching narrative in the discourse around Justin Bieber's musical output. But that's less of a thing in some ways because of the fact that Justin Bieber is so naturally fluid with R&B. It's so clearly the kind of music that speaks to him. He grew up in hip hop culture. This is something that it's not just a hat he's trying on. There's something fundamental to him that is that about that particular style of music, but that the actual racialized element comes in more from the sort of like people that oversee him in a sense. Yeah, from the people that oversee him and the assumptions about the people who might be his audiences, right? Right. So there is still, a, I think, a desire to hang on to the safe white Christian Bieber who, you know, white suburban moms will be okay with their kids listening to. So the other thing that sort of dovetails with this period of time, and I think is so entwined in this moment of artistic independence that he takes on journals, is that his public image takes a complete and utter sort of nosedive because of behavior that I think looking back, we might sort of see as typical teen shit. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't kill anybody. He doesn't like do anything that's like feels particularly transgressive in my particular opinion but nonetheless Justin Bieber's public image as a celebrity falls off a fucking cliff why you know I think a lot of it has to do with him just being perceived as undeserving of his fame and his wealth but I completely agree like looking back you know aside from the racist joke that he's caught on camera telling which actually is a video from much, much earlier in, in his life. A lot of the things he does are not the absolute worst. Like when you think about it, TPing a rich neighbor's house is kind of wholesome, right? As far as bad behavior goes. Uh, <laughs> but you know, in a country that is obsessed with property, it was presented as being this like demonic thing. All he did was throw some eggs, like, and some oh toilet paper. God. I don't know. I don't think that's that mm. bad. Should he have done it? Probably not. But I don't think no. uh, compared to what I probably would have done if I'd had the wealth and power and fame of Justin Bieber, that it's that awful. That being said, drag racing under the influence, don't condone it, also seems a little bit fun. Yeah, but I mean, who's how many freaking exactly. kids are out there doing that? I mean, you know, and then there's the peeing in the bucket. There's the giving the finger to Bill Clinton. I don't didn't realize that fealty to Bill Clinton was a prerequisite of pop stardom, but there you go. And the other thing that I think that I just think about looking back on it is it just felt like people wanted to hate him and this was giving them a reason to. Why? Why do people why did people, you know, this is a thread we were picking up Earlier in his career, when he was a teen, you know, uh, uh, in, in the beginning of his success was this sort of desire to hate him. It almost felt like this gave people these sort of like normal growing pain transitions that I'm sure are amplified by fame and wealth. It just gave people who were already inclined to dismiss him just a reason to do so. Why do you think there was this animosity? I don't think him? there's anyone who has had the sort of level of visibility that he had at that time, right? He was everywhere you mm -hmm. could not escape justin bieber um and every time you heard about him he was doing something slightly twerpish <laughs> and you know it wasn't quite cancel culture i mean that's a whole other podcast episode in itself but we were sort of seeing the germination right. of celebrity culture to a new echelon and backlash 
to it. So he lived, I think, at the intersection of a lot of things that benefited him in some Mm. ways and in other ways made him consistently top the charts of the most hated person in the world for a few years. I can just add, I just think from personal experience, there was this... In a way, I almost feel like that era was like the peak of bro culture. And in a way, he almost became like an avatar for that. I just remember at the time I was working in nightlife. I was dealing with so many sort of entitled white guys in athleisure who were just like the bane of my existence. And Justin really started to like adopt the markers of that culture. And I think people, at least like I can say from my personal experience, I remember... Not that I thought he deserved to like be canceled or not have his successor, but I just remember feeling a certain amount of distaste just for his sort of vibe as a bro. And I think there's a sort of perception that he's over, that he's essentially burned out his well wishes from people and that he's sort of overstayed his welcome. And I think the other important part of this is that the music no matter how many hits he's had up to this point, no matter how hard he's fought for artistic credibility, I feel like the music has never eclipsed the celebrity narrative around Justin Bieber up until this point in 2015. It's always sort of played a secondary role. Absolutely. I was just about to say that. And I think that is one of the reasons that he's so easy to dislike, right? If someone is purportedly an artist and you know a lot more about what they were doing on Saturday night than what, their latest single is it's very easy for that to quickly become a mess so the thing that really turns justin bieber's career around is interesting in contrast to journals a song that really has nothing to do with hip-hop and r&b at all and is a song called where are you now which is a collaboration with diplo and skrillex two big edm producers and it's and i know this is a term that you don't enjoy but it is essentially a trop house Song. I gave you the key when the door wasn't open. Just admit it. See, I gave you faith, turned your doubt into hoping. Can't deny it. Now I'm all alone and my joys turn them open. Tell me, where are you now that I need you? Where are you now? Where are you now that I need you? Couldn't find you anywhere When you broke down I didn't leave you I was by your side So where are you now that I need you? Where are you now that I need you? So what is it about Where Are You Now that allows the entire Justin Bieber narrative to shift? I think it's a little bit of an unexpected collaboration. It seemed to have sort of come out of nowhere. But two, it's just a banger, right? He sounds, you know, he sounds really good, right? So throughout his entire career, the one trademark is his vocals. You know, he hasn't always picked the best songs or written the best songs, but he's often sounded really good on them. And Where Are You Now Mm -hmm. is a prime example of that. And it happened to be just slightly ahead of the trends of radio, right? It wasn't groundbreaking in terms of its musicality, but in terms of how that song was positioned on pop radio, it sounded different. He finally landed something that made a mark, not just because it was a decent pop song, but because it was attempting something new in that particular arena.
way the Trop House movement was a bit of like the stepchild of EDM. It was like still had a foot in the door of the EDM sound, but was giving you something like a little bit softer. And you're right, like that, where are you now? I think paired with kind of like Omi's cheerleader and like a few other records at that moment were sort of the inflection point that brought in a huge new wave of music. So for the first time, Justin Bieber is kind of, at least in a mainstream pop context, as you just said, He's ahead of the curb. The other thing that I thought of when I was listening to it was, and you pointed this out too, he's just sounds so human and sort of sad on the record. It reminds you of his humanity. And I think it's also a moment where without forcing it in the way that a boyfriend does is so just sort of like evidently adult. It's the first time that like people writ large sort of accept Justin Bieber as a adult pop star. So how does he then build on Where Are You Now with his massive 2015 record Purpose? So I mean, Purpose is the moment where Justin Bieber, I think, finally achieves maybe not musically what he's meant to be doing per se but he achieves the sort of like crowning moment of just ultra saturating pop superstardom that i think they maybe thought believe was going to be but this is the moment where like justin comes into full bloom as a pop megastar so what's happening musically on purpose how does it relate to where you now how does it not just generally what's going on musically on purpose so there's all kinds of things going on on purpose and i think what that moment really marks is finally the understanding that the Justin Bieber sound is Justin Bieber's voice, right? And how he Mm. sings. Like, I think, you know, fans knew that, maybe critics knew that, but I think that finally crystallizes on purpose. So he is doing, you know, a little bit more of the post Where Are You Now with songs like What Do You Mean? What Do You Mean? Sorry. He's also doing some straight up like acoustic pop Ed Sheeran written tracks like Love Yourself, which is actually one of my favorite Justin Bieber songs of all time. My mama don't like you and she likes everyone. And I never like to admit that I was wrong And I've been so caught up in my job Didn't see what's going on But now I know I'm better sleeping on my own Cause if you like the way you look that much Oh baby, you should go and love yourself And, you know, so he's experimenting with the idea that an, a Justin Bieber album can have this sort of all over the place energy of believe without being empty and vacuous, right? So he's beginning his what would eventually become a five, six year apology tour, but he's doing it across all of these different genres and showing that he can pull a bunch of them. He's a off. he's a poly- He's apologizing in numerous in numerous genres, is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. The, the, the album really the album can come off as like a as like a 60 minute mea culpa to the world in a sense. I mean, obviously as personified by the song "Sorry," but also everything about it, even songs that are not explicitly about apologizing, feel like a bit of a redemption tour in terms of like what they're talking about. Whether you're talking about "I'll Show You." Girl, it's hard to do the right thing. 
coming down like lightning It's like they want me to be perfect Even talking about a song like What Do You Mean feels like a song where it's like Justin's being like, how do I please you? I want to figure out how to get back into your good graces. Maybe that song's about a woman, but there's still that same energy of like, everybody fucking hates me and I just want to figure out how I can sort of apologize to everybody. That's a big theme on the album. Kind of in contrast to a song like Love Yourself, which is pretty acerbic and actually almost like uh, cruel in a sense. Yeah, you know, I, I think you're totally right. Like where maybe once upon a time someone would have booked a primetime Barbara Walters interview, he linked up with a bunch of different people and made pop music that sort of crossed genres and potential radio formats you know i think the other sort of interesting factor and purpose is like it becomes a smash hit he's got three number one singles in one album i mean these are the sort of albums that pop stars dream of having and yet at the same time this feels exactly like when justin bieber's relationship to his own pop stardom completely curdles he goes on tour for purpose the talk of the internet are these videos that are coming out of the tour of him listless on stage seemingly miserable to be on this tour but the screaming during these breaks has got to stop please and thank at the pinnacle of his commercial success and yet I don't think I've ever laid eyes on a pop star that seemed maybe besides Britney and Las Vegas that seemed less like they wanted to be there which is just an interesting contrast like and sort of perhaps maybe like a window into again like who is running the show there's this feeling when watching the videos of him on stage that he's not there because he wants to be there yeah, I mean, that time is really, it's its kind of heartbreaking, right? Like, this is an, a moment, especially in the context of those videos that start, start rolling out almost night after night, where we really see a sort of battle between Justin the person, Justin the artist, and Justin the corporation, right? And there doesn't seem to be mm -hmm. any peace. As it progresses, he, he goes from being not only just listless to almost being a little angry, right? Like there mm -hmm. is, there seems to be a lot happening emotionally and going to work when you don't want to is hard enough. But when your work uh, <laughs> is in front of like 50,000 people with each with a camera, I wouldn't want anyone to have footage of me on my worst writing day. So I do approach this with a great deal of empathy for Justin. Me too. But, you know, I think it was unique to see at that time because I do think there was an element of like, the show must go on is such an important element of show business and of pop stardom in particular as sort of like the the pinnacle of show business in many ways. And I, I it was interesting to watch someone just kind of openly, I don't want to say give up in a derogatory way, but just sort of, you know, I, I think it didn't help in the sense that it played into the entitled narrative that was around him. But I also think it reflected back onto society in a negative way because I think the derision of him says a lot about us in some ways more than it does about whatever Justin Bieber was going through at that particular moment. Totally. I mean, he shouldn't have, He, you know, I don't know him personally, but he probably should not have been on that 
tour, right? And the entitlement, you, we start to see the shift happening both ways where this era is when celebrities themselves start to push back a little bit more on what is what many of them understand as being the entitlement of fans and or the public, right? So the sort of power dynamic has really shifted in a way that doesn't quite look good for him, but I think in a way that he is a handful of years later sort of reclaiming the idea that yeah. fame is oppressive is the classic celebrity line right now right yeah and and i just think somehow more explicitly than that with justin bieber although this is definitely true of other pop stars i think this moment also served to just highlight this other narrative thread that i feel like we've been pulling at this entire time which is who is in control of justin bieber like and i think seeing him on stage in these sort of arena shows so un clearly unhappy to be there just served to further highlight this thing that I think he's both tried to break and also not tried to break as a narrative about him which is that there's people pulling the strings that are not him that are more powerful than him in his career and I think that was kind of the breaking point of that particular thread for him at that point and it's just fascinating that it came at such a moment of massive critical success. I mean, I'm on commercial success. It was just the absolute pinnacle of his career. And yet he seemed almost like he didn't feel like he belonged there or something like that. Like it was fascinating to watch in that way. So to his credit, Justin does something that's pretty unusual for a massive pop star coming off of their biggest commercial success album. I mean, Justin hangs around, you know, he's on features. He's on a bunch of DJ Khaled hits. DJ Khaled. Yeah, you're looking at the truth. The money never lie, no. I'm the one, yeah, I'm the one. Obviously, we have the utter cultural movement of Despacito. Come and move that in my direction. So thankful for that, it's such a blessing, yeah. Turn every situation into heaven, yeah. You know, it's not like Justin disappears. He's still a tabloid fixture. He marries Hailey Bieber. But in terms of like putting out a solo project, we do not hear from Justin Bieber again as a solo artist making a album statement for four years, which is in the modern era, you know, we're talking about pop stars like Rihanna, who at the peak of her fame was cranking out an album every single year, or at best you have someone like Lady Gaga and Katy Perry maybe taking two years, two and a half years in between projects. But in this era for an artist to just sort of come off of what was a absolute juggernaut of a successful album and then just go like hang it up, I think that was an important narrative shift for Justin too. And he returns in 2019 with an album called Changes that... You know, I think is a record that feels like the sound of an artist who is in control of what he's making. Picture perfect, you don't need no filter. Go just make them drop dead, you a killer. Shower you with all my attention. Yeah, these are my only intentions. Feels most akin sonically to journals in terms of it being very rooted in R&B. It's very stripped back. It's very it's lacking in sort of clear attempts at pop singles. Tell tell us, Maria. Yeah, I know the answer to this, but how do you feel about Change? Oh my God, I uh... Change has really bummed me out. I mean, I was happy that he was back. I was happy that he felt confident enough to try something. But to me, Changes is just like a really sad attempt at, you know, being a wife guy. Is that what that meme was? Yeah. He's, yes. He's just fully yep. being a wife guy. And there's a lot of really, really bad <laughs> songwriting on it. He's almost the entire thing is co-written with Pooh Bear, who is really brilliant in many respects. But together they land on a lot of really, really horrible metaphors and analogies for sex. 
Let your frustrations out right here. I'm your psychiatrist. Let's talk about it. We can use sign language. I know you got it. Maybe I can offer some sort of service to artists that's kind of like an editorship, you know? And I think I just think he needed that here. So on the one hand, the great news is that he seems to be happy to be making music again. But on the other hand, the music is just sort of rote contemporary R&B with random features from various Migos. Is that fair? Am I being harsh? You tell me what you think. No, no. You know, I, I like Changes more than you, but I completely agree. I think what's kind of nice about Changes to me is that it's what I said earlier. It's like, this feels like a pure expression of Justin Bieber left to his own vices making music. It's almost like the first time I feel like we really, journals maybe is the first time, but it's the first time we really get that on a full album from him. And so there's a part of me that's like, that's nice. Like, I feel like I'm, that's, it's the first time I feel like I can get a real window into like who this man really is, which is like a kind of a basic white guy who like loves God, wife guy, loves God. He's sober now. He likes fucking his wife. Like, I, I don't know. Like he just, that was just kind of like the, like, I do think that's who Justin Bieber is. Like he's not a particularly sophisticated person. So I'm not expecting poetry. Like he's he, making clunky sex metaphors. I bet is exactly who Justin Bieber is as a person in real life. Yeah. And in bed, I'm sure too. Um, <laughs> yeah, but no, I, you know, I, I think it's, it's, there's a lot of really bad songs on there, but I agree that he sounds settled in a way, right? Like there is something yeah. about it that feels like an exhale. Yeah. And, and, and it's lack of commercial success. I mean, it wasn't like a flop or anything, but it certainly didn't measure up to purpose in any sort of way. Sort of speaks yeah. to the fact that like, clearly he wrestled the reins back from whomever, because if you were going to workshop the Justin Bieber comeback album in 2019, you're not coming out of that workshop with changes. Let me tell you, you know what right. I mean? Right. Yummy is not... <laughs> Not your biggest prospect. Yeah, you got that yummy, yum, the yummy, yum, the yummy, yummy. No. <laughs> when they put yummy out, I was like, oh shit, like this is this is really it. Like this is the comeback <laughs> single. And then he follows that up really quickly with an album I know that you like more because you reviewed it in Pitchfork and gave it quite a favorable review, which is Justice. So what's happening on Justice that it, to me, I think felt a little bit like a doubling back towards wanting to have more of the pop success. But tell me, tell us what's happening on Justice Musical.ly and what you think about it. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair assessment. So on Justice, he's sort of going back to the template of trying the Justin Bieber vocal thing on all kinds of musical approaches, right? Um, R&B, there is a couple of sort of acoustic bangers. Sure, and I'm just in it even sober. I'm not thinking straight. Cause I'm off my face in love with you know <laughs> acoustic bangers. <laughs> Oxymoron, uh, for sure. One of the things that really led the conversation about this album was the decision that Justin made to intersperse these songs about Hayley Bieber and or God with clips of iconic Martin Luther King speeches. It's nothing <laughs> has made me cringe more ah! in, 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 in years. But at the same time, and this was essentially what I was, you know, what the gist of my review was. It just kind of feels like logging on to Instagram, right? That is how people behave in public these days. None of it makes sense. Uh, even when it's well-meaning, it is in you know often quite tone deaf. So Martin Luther King aside, uh, I think Justin Martin sounds... Luther King aside, yes, of course. <laughs> Putting aside this, the probably one of the most iconic humans to have ever lived. 
Justin Bieber <laughs> is very much in control of his voice. <laughs> okay, sorry. That was just so funny. Yeah, he's in control of his voice. He sounds like he wants to be in out in public with Haley, right? Like changes. He sounded like he just wanted to be at home with Haley. Just mm-hmm. as he sounds a little bit more like he's ready to be a functioning member of society. And I think what he what he's done on Justice that will I wouldn't be surprised if it winds up being something of a template for him is the decision to sort of do more of the is he singing about fucking his wife or is he singing about Jesus, right? He, Sometimes yes. one or the so other. So often confusing on that both. album. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, you know, I'm not a Christian, but I think it works, and I think it will continue to work for him. So, let's talk about the Pantheon. So... You know, Justin Bieber, he, we've had him around for a long period of time. We got a lot of things to work on. Where do you think Justin Bieber falls in the pop pantheon? I mean, I don't know that he would be especially happy with this answer, but I think... <laughs> <laughs> this is not about... Let, let me tell you something. This is not about making Justin Bieber happy. Exactly. The pantheon is cold hearted bitch she yeah. just sees things how they are some, honey, well, despite what so. some trolls have said in my dms scooter Braun industries has never paid me a penny um <laughs> so i am being entirely honest here when i yeah. say you know in a dream world he would be a tier one he would be an icon i think the reality though for me is that he's more of of a mega star than he is an icon, right? And I think a lot of that goes mm-hmm. back to what we were talking about earlier in the sense that his cultural impact has sort of eclipsed his musical impact. So while there might be time for him to, you know, become an icon, I think he's solidly in the mega star era. Maybe, I mean, maybe he's even a mere superstar on a bad day. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm conflicted between the two. I find him very cuspy three to two because... Yeah. So I'm like, because I'm... It's what you said. It's like... In a lot of, like, metric senses, I feel like he could be a two. It's like, I'm going down the list here. I'm like, all right, in tier two, like, some of, for the megastars, some of the requirements, like, highly relevant, producing, like, 15 genuine hit songs over a decade, definitely has that, referred to mononymously, and there's another Justin, so that's a little bit tough, but I still think, like, the word Bieber carries a lot of weight. At least one musical era that shifted or defined a certain period of pop, I'd say Purpose fits that bill to me. I think Purpose is the emblematic mid-2015s pop album, if you had to really pick one out of the and draw it out. In some ways, I thought to myself, Purpose is, like, the off-the-wall of EDM, in the sense that it, like, is the sort of, like, end, the, the, the a very solid endpoint for a genre. At least one successful reinvention or musical or image overhaul i'd say he's had that definitely oh, yeah, moving from sure. child moving from child star to mid-adult star to full adult star to meltdown to pick back up whatever he's had that multimedia moments that defined an era and are still referenced to this day mm. i never think of justin as like a particularly like powerful video artist or you know what I mean like I can't say I can't it's not like you talk about Justin Bieber and you're like oh that video was like such a huge moment in pop culture you know what I mean fair enough (laughs) 
obviously Justin Bieber could still tour an arena. Legacy largely set in stone. I don't know if that's totally true. That's one thing that makes me wonder whether he's a three because I think Justin Bieber's legacy is very much in flux and um, is going to be ripe for a lot of reassessments, which is like part of why I'm a little bit like he feels cuspy three to two to me. I could and and I could also see a situation where like in three years. Justin Bieber is still on the top of the charts, still making lots of hit music, still really relevant. Or I could see a situation in three years where, like, that's not happening. Like, it really feels like it could kind of go either way. Plausibly headline the Super Bowl? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I, I think he could headline the Super Bowl. I think there would be, you know, a lot of tomatoes thrown at him, but I could definitely see him headlining the Super Bowl. It's all about name recognition for the Super Bowl and he has that. And I like, do you see him in the company of a Janet, of a Britney, of a of a Gaga? Like, does he feel that impactful to you? I mean, again, I think, you know, his impact on the Gaga, Britney level is more cultural cultural than it is musical, right? I don't think, right. you know, it's. It, I think it'll be really interesting to see what future, how future generations how, what the, what his narrative is to future generations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, he might be one of those artists that huge in his time, anyone born 15, 20 years after his peak, maybe they don't know who he is, right? If he doesn't keep this yeah. thing. I don't think any of, as much as I, you know, I'm a fan. Which I would not say for Gaga or Britney. Exactly. Not at all. Yeah. There's there's a weird thing happening there. It's it, Tim, Timberlake is instructive. When I had Jordan Sargent on, we had this debate because Timberlake feels like such an artist who when he was in his prime felt like an obvious two, but now sort of looking back kind of feels more like he's sliding into a three like you know what I mean like it's a little and I kind of feel like weirdly once again their careers parallel on that level totally yeah it's really really it's hard to say in the long term you know like I I have a bunch of students who've never heard of the thong song you know so (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how that I don't think that bodes well for a song like boyfriend no but I do think there are certain songs that seem like they are going to stand the test of time. I'd say like "Sorry" is a certified classic. I mean, there's like "Where Are You Now." These are, I mean, they. I guess they do sound pretty of their time. Yeah. But like, yeah, but like, so do a lot of songs that live on. So it's not like "No Scrubs" doesn't sound like totally like 1999 or whenever the fuck that came out. But it's still right. But "No classic. Scrubs" like gave you a slang word, right? It created right. a sort of profile of a kind of dude in the mainstream right like it had Mm -hmm. impact I don't know I mean I hope I I will say that I do think there's time yet for for Bieber to solidify his his position as a tier two but I I I I don't know I I'm torn you sound like you want to put him in a put him in three for now and let him let him have a moment to like establish whether he's in two or not you know there's nothing wrong with a a a three to two glow up a late a mid-career glow up and that's the thing right in his defense a lot of his contemporaries are significantly older than him right you know he's got he's got time here's what i always say so to me the emblematic tier three artist is Katy perry artist who had a huge eight-year run massive hits super indelible, memorable for all kinds of reasons, but like kind of couldn't move the career beyond that initial phase. You know, I think Bieber has moved past her in that sense. 
Justin Bieber has had successful songs in 2021. That is not something you could say of Katy Perry. You know what I mean? And they emerged kind of at the same time. So Justin Bieber in that context feels like not totally a three. But at the same time, I'm not quite ready to say that like he occupies the same cultural space as Janet Jackson. So that makes me feel like he's some he's a cuspy three to two somehow. He's a cuspy three to two, but I I will also say that often what defines the difference between a megastar and a mere superstar is the sort of extra musical activity, right? So the fact that I could probably, you know, stop some random uncle on the street and he would, I think he would be more likely to know Justin Bieber than Katy Perry, right? And so even if the music doesn't, live up to Janet Jackson levels. There is something to say for the fact that he has been able to capture the public's attention and imagination in a really significant way. I don't know. It's, it's yeah, that, that, that cuts both ways though, because you could also say that that sort of undercuts his musical legacy. Well, I guess, I guess from, from my perspective, a megastar isn't just about, or any of these tiers, you can't, I don't think you can divorce them from, um, right, sort the of celebrity impact. Stuff. Yeah, right. especially right. in this era. You know, he was the most hated person in the world for several years in a row. And that's, that's an achievement. You know. <laughs> One can only dream. What if we what if we put him as a three rising? I think he's a three rising. Yeah, that that makes yeah. sense. He's a mm-hmm. he's a he's a, a he has a three sun and a two moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with that. That feels right to me. And, you know, I think what happens next for him will be pretty sort of, I think it's an important moment for him. Like, what, do we have a moment like the Beyonce visual album where he, like, completely reestablishes himself in this new, broader way than we ever could have imagined? Or does he kind of just sort of, like, fade out into obscurity? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm leaning, I'm leaning, you know, mega church. Yeah, he's going (laughs) to, he's going to be like the next Joel Osteen. (laughs) That's like his, that's his. Exactly. Uh, All right. So last question for you. What is your favorite underrated Bieber song that we can go out on? Um, Oh, I got to say, Die in Your Arms Mm. from Believe. Great song. Such a good song. It's a it's a bop. I dance down the street listening to it. All right, so let's go out on Die in Your Arms. Rawia, thank you so, so much for doing this again <laughs> for a second time. You are a gem, amazing, a font of knowledge. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'll be back when he's a two. Hey guys, Pop Pantheon, Justin Bieber in the books, a tier three rising. We'll see what goes down. Maybe he'll be a tier two at some point in the future when we reassess this again. I want to say thank you so, so, so much to Rawia Khmer. What a fucking fantastic guest she was. I just want to tell you guys, I know we referenced this a few times. We recorded this whole episode and it was incredible and we had fucking sound issues and she came back on guns blazing to the entire thing for a second time. I'm so grateful to her. Thank you so much. Make sure you come to the Discord tonight, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, and follow Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram. Follow me, DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V, on Twitter and Instagram. Send any questions you have that you want me to answer on air to poppantheonpod at gmail.com. And guys, 
Until I see you next time, have a wonderful life. Okay? Bye-bye.